I like how you thought back for a second. We're like, I don't want to have to edit that. Okay, let me just say it again. Yeah, I'm editing this one, so (laughs) not splicing that. For the Mundangerous Escape Room in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 242 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about building and solving puzzles. But first, the party stashes a body in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, the Kundaric Keymaster has all the answers in the Character Creation Forge. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by Cobalt Press. Cobalt Press, the makers of Tome of Beasts, the Midgard campaign setting, and Deep Magic are putting out dark fantasy 5th edition content on a monthly basis through the Warlock Patreon. Does that mean it is a fey warlock because it's dark fantasy? Uh, perhaps it's a great old one. That I don't want to get involved in that kind of dark fantasy, <laughs> personally. I would like to see the tentacles, okay? I would like to turn on the lights, please. Well... You can get player options, monsters, magic items, and more for as low as $1 a month, Ishan. But for just $3 a month, you can get awesome Warlock Lairs, short adventures by some of the industry's best writers, like DSPN's own Celeste Conowich. And for $5, if you're like me and you want to see things in print, you can get the zine each issue, each month, and it comes with all of those cool new halfling zine covers. Wait, you mean like good halfling art? Well, you know, is there such thing as good halfling art? Hey, look, compared to the art in 5e that we get of halflings with their strange oh, heads. There's bad halfling art. I'm not disagreeing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like, upper limit for halfling art, fine. Yeah, about three and a half feet. Yeah, upper exactly. limit. <laughs> <laughs> but on the cover of a zine, I'm into it. All right, so that sounds cool. You can check out more at patreon.com slash Press and tell them DSPN sent you. Speaking of Patreon, hey, we hit $300 a month, and that's pretty amazing, but you're the ones who are going to suffer. Uh-huh. Yeah. In two weeks, we're going to release the episode we promised, the campaign setting guide to Forgotten Realms. Yes. Our favorite setting, the one that we love the most, the one that we're the most interested in and that we know the most about. The best setting ever created. Mm-hmm. Right. By the best gamer who ever lived. Mm-hmm. Yep. Not a single Mary Sue in sight. I'm excited to discuss the cogent, coherent plot, um, the ways in which they skillfully handled new additions and incorporating rules, uh, all of the retconning that smoothed out all the rough edges, the rampant racism that was definitely fixed. (laughs) Oh, cool. I'm glad that you're going to get that covered because I am here to just mispronounce proper (laughs) nouns. (laughs) Can we just do an, the whole thing on GIF? It's just GIF, right? <laughs> <laughs> choose you, moms. Choose GIF. <laughs> I say. Choosy GMs. Choose GIF. <laughs> or GIF. Either way. As the campaign opens, you are held prisoner by a hippo yeah. <laughs> at, carrying a blunderbuss. <laughs> All right, so look forward to that at the beginning of April. And Ishan, what's going on in the Gates of Morning campaign? 
The Gates of Morning campaign is our 5th edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in central Karnath, in the insular city of Vedakir, the party is chasing a killer. And they are now in possession of the body of the victim, their friend Ephraim de Orion. As the only known acquaintances of the deceased, they've been given custody of the corpse, despite their protests. So there, in the middle of the street, just outside the uh, the tavern in which we are all staying, Decimus pries open the coffin to conduct a cursory medical examination to make sure all is as it seems with Ephraim's corpse. Well, the body is unchanged from when they last saw it. It is, of course, completely drained of blood, although there are no obvious uh, marks for how that blood would have been drained. And it has been vivisected, and all of Ephraim's body parts were rejoined before he died. It also shows no signs of decomposition, although it has been in cold storage until just recently. So Lucky, the changeling paladin, who is now occasionally going by her real name, Switch, suggests leaving the body at the Temple of the Sovereign Host, which is the primary religion here on the continent of Corvair. And I believe also the religion of the current identity she is impersonating. Right. Lucky the Paladin, who is most definitely a Paladin of Aladra, I believe, a member of the Sovereign Host, and not Switch, a changeling who is actually a Paladin of the Traveler, a right. member of the Dark Six. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> which is really just a branding issue, right? <laughs> All right, so the temple is a simple building and not too far away, and Decimus, the only party member who didn't dump strength, right. is carrying most <laughs> of the weight here. Uh, but eventually, we uh, unfortunate pallbearers get it into the temple. So the priest is welcoming. You know, the sovereign host is a, a good aligned religion um he's a little confused that you're all walking in with an actual coffin there's no funeral scheduled for today um and when you explain the situation he sort of like throws up his hands like uh like, i'm not okay with taking possession of a, a body of an ondarian you know we were our countries were at war just two years ago uh, i have no place to to bury him like our parish is dependent on donations and the congregation will get quite upset so i'm, I'm sorry you really can't leave it here but he is eventually persuaded to hold on to the body for just a short time while the party makes other arrangements. However, when he catch, however, when he tries to cast a spell of preservation, a quick gentle repose so that it doesn't rot here, the spell fails. And the priest doesn't understand why and says that he won't hold on to an unpreserved corpse in late summer. Vesicot, the Kalistar, uses a suggestion spell to get past this roadblock and insists the body has already been magically preserved, which is why the spell has failed. That makes sense to the priest, considering he's being suggested. So he takes Ephraim off their hands, you know, and will keep him there at least until the spell wears off, which should probably be about an hour, assuming that Vesicot continues concentrating for that entire period of time. At this moment, though, outside... A scream rings out and then is cut short. The party runs out into the cool, foggy air, turns the corner into a cobblestone alley near the church, and spies a dead man lying face down on the ground with blood pooling below him. Uh, although it looks like most of his body fluids seem to have been actually sprayed all over the wall behind him. So the party calls for the constables and 
begins their own investigation without disturbing anything while they wait. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, we're talking about puzzles. Well, I'm puzzled. What's a puzzle? <laughs> well, it's an in-game obstacle that must be overcome with, log- with logic or knowledge. And now I would say that, you know, something like an investigation or even like planning a heist probably counts as a puzzle. But in this episode, we're going to focus on simpler, maybe standalone puzzles. Yeah, kind of more of the, uh, the obstacle inside the dungeon, right? The, the solve this puzzle to move out of this room type puzzle. Right. Um, Riddles are also puzzles. We did an entire episode on them, episode 80, uh, so you can check that out if you like. I would say that players either love a puzzle or they hate a puzzle. Uh, Same with GMs. Uh (laughs) So I think sometimes that's tied to the quality of both the players solving puzzles and the GM creating them. So here's the thing. If everyone at your table, GM and players, hates puzzles, just don't use them. It's fine to just leave out. They are not an integral part of the game. And if you're running an adventure where there's a puzzle and everybody's going to hate running it or playing it, just leave it out or change it. Like, make it a locked door. Mm-hmm. Or make it optional. Yeah. You don't have to solve the puzzle in order to move forward, but maybe you get some more information if you solve the puzzle. I'll say, though, it's probably unlikely that literally everybody hates them, and they can be a really nice change of pace from combat or exploration or social interaction, because they don't really fit in the sort of these like three traditional pillars. And I think one of the reasons they're different is that a good puzzle is usually a challenge for the player, not necessarily the character. So you can have a smart player who's playing a dumb barbarian, and, you know, they've been having fun kicking in doors and, like, you know, cutting things in half with, with their battle axe. But it gives them a chance to sort of exercise a slightly different muscle because they have the same chance of figuring out some sort of like logic puzzle than anyone else at the table. There's no reason for them to be like, well, I'm dumb, so I won't be able to figure this out. It's just a conceit of the genre of role playing games that you're allowed to sort of, you know, shout potential answers at the table to a puzzle. Yeah, it just means that the dumb barbarian has happened to stumble upon this specific answer through a moment of foolish clarity. Hey, high wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) hey hi luck (laughs) all right so this episode we're going to be talking about how to make a puzzle how to solve a puzzle and how to make sure that a bad one doesn't ruin your session all right let's start with when should we use puzzles never never use a puzzle we're done episode over move on to the character (laughs) creation forge oh no i'm running this adventure and it has a puzzle in it okay so depending on the difficulty and the scope of a puzzle and also the interest or ability of the players solving a puzzle can take anywhere between you know a few minutes in real life to maybe the entire session and you know it's fine if that's the intention is for the puzzle to take the entire session what this means is they can be really great as speed bumps that offer a breather between you know the combat or the social interaction but it also is a chance for the the players themselves to step back and sort of just be themselves, right? To not have to be in character for a moment. You don't necessarily have to solve the puzzle in character. Yeah, it is also great as an alternative objective rather than the primary objective. So uh, a puzzle in the middle of a combat situation is both a change of pace and an enemy that can't just be beaten into submission with spells or, you know, a, a battle axe or can't just be manipulated or tricked out of the equation. I think one thing that's often overlooked when deciding to put in a puzzle 
is that they're also an opportunity for exposition. And that's either on the quest that the party is on or maybe just the world that they live in, right? A puzzle can actually be a nice bit of world building. When you get to answer questions like, who made this puzzle? And why did they make this puzzle? And, and why did they put it here? You know, um, I think, you know, most people's experiences or formative experiences with puzzles are in like fantasy novels or old school modules where the puzzle is just there for not really any reason, right? Like we're investigating this dungeon and a crazy person built it or like mad gods or aliens or whatever. But these days when you run across a puzzle, usually you'll have someone think, why is this here? And why isn't it just a locked door? Why is there a puzzle? Right. We did this in the Dynasty and Warranty campaign, right? Like there right. was a puzzle in the Eldar like Barrows um, that was effectively just a, a documentation of their history. But because pieces of it were missing, that little piece of missing information proved to be a helpful warning had you been able to uncover it. Right. Yeah, and I think that that was sort of the interesting thing about that. It wasn't like, you know, if you listen to the Dynasty Unwarranted recap, the the key is is to like um, conjure a particular emotion, and that opens a door, right? Right. But the fun part wasn't just standing there and like yelling out random emotions and seeing which one opens the door, right? It was figuring out which particular emotion opens this particular door, and. And gathering like in-world information from the the frescoes around us, or like knowledge checks uh, of like Eldar civilization, or you know like uh, lo- research checks to look into you know old records to figure out like what um, what their religion said about this like particular point in uh, their civilization or their life cycle or whatever. Right. Yeah. So the puzzle itself was easily solvable with just brute force. Right. You eventually would have just shouted out the right word that would have opened it. The, the value of it, of engaging in the puzzle, was the world building itself. Right. And the order in which those those correct answers came, right? We were sort of right, like yeah, working that, that backward told, in time. Right. That told you as you were moving backward in time, sort of the the values that the Eldar who lived here had. Yeah. And I think this solves two things uh, or presents two, two positives for the table. One is like if you're a, a puzzle player and you enjoy this kind of stuff you get to solve a puzzle you get to like think logically and do research or whatever Uh, and then also if you're a player who doesn't actually care about puzzles but is really interested in in lore and and world building you get to learn that too you don't necessarily care that we opened this door okay that's cool whatever what i really learned is you know like eight thousand years ago the elder were thinking this as opposed to fourteen thousand years ago right and then i think a puzzle is also really good at setting the tone um, often in fiction, you'll have puzzles near the beginning of a dungeon or at the beginning of adventure or like near the middle when you're getting a breather and you've made it through like the part where you were all going to die. And now you have to figure out a puzzle to open a door to get to the next part where you're all going to die. Right. But think about how deadly is this puzzle? If like it's a poison arrow dart trap that you have to figure out a, a way around and if you screw it up, you die instantly. Well, then you're probably up against some people who mean business. Right. There's probably <laughs> something valuable that it's protecting. Right. Or, you know, if uh, you're exploring the alien sanctum and like the puzzle that you have to manipulate with your hands is made of human bones, then that also tells you something about what you're about to encounter. Yeah. The solution of the puzzle also tells you about the skill that its creator valued. 
right? The the way that you address it tells you what they were expecting from somebody that was worthy to complete this puzzle. Yeah, because I think that's usually the answer to why didn't they just put a locked door here? Why is it a puzzle? It's, it's because it's a test. Right. Um, and the question is, is it a test of your intellect where anyone who's smart enough can sort of figure out the pattern of glowing lights or whatever? Or is it a test of your character? Like, Do you make the correct moral decision or do you choose the right thing or do you avoid the wrong thing? Do you not touch the gold pieces? Or more often, is it a test of your knowledge of what the creator expected you to have in your character? Right, exactly. Like, you know? uh, which is Indiana Jones, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Like, like Indiana Jones is sort of perfect here, right? Um, it's If you think of the end of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, that is a series of puzzles to get into where the grail is kept that is both riddles, right? Because he has like little tidbits of, of rhymes and information that tell him what the test is going to be. But then also he shows up and it's a, it's a rotating disc that can cut a person's head off. Okay, so that you're supposed to demonstrate humility. And then there's an invisible bridge uh, where you're supposed to demonstrate courage. Um Faith. What's it again? What? Faith. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Not courage. <laughs> <laughs> Both. It's faith. Uh, there's the um, spelling out the footsteps of God, right? Which is uh, knowledge and uh, scholarship. Uh, and then there's the the cup, which is, I mean, I guess wisdom probably, right? But it, it could just also be knowledge as well. Right. Yeah, I, I see this all the time in the uh, Nathan Drake series, the Uncharted series um, for PlayStation, right? Like where he's constantly having to like go back and solve these ancient puzzles um, that are set up in these strange crypts or, or you know, deliberately designed to, to lead you along a path to the ending from whoever, whatever society he's trying to follow through or raid for ancient information and secrets, you know, whatever. <laughs> Um, you, you always end up with this stuff and, and talking about like who created these things, it always amazes me how many mechanical elements exist in these like hundreds of year old stone crypts, you know, like, wow, they got those gigantic stone doors to open with a, with a cog and some machinery back there. Okay. All right. Interesting. And a counterweight triggered by a bag of sand. Right. <laughs> I mean, look, maybe the thing they valued was dexterity. <laughs> and you're well, not they, supposed to figure this out. You're just supposed to dodge. It's actually, it's a vanity puzzle for their own engineering. <laughs> if you had bought the DLC, we would have emailed you the answer. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about creating puzzles. Honestly, there is absolutely nothing wrong with stealing a puzzle. I probably do not create 95% of the puzzles that I use. Um, I think this also like rewards the kind of player who likes a puzzle because if you have heard of a puzzle before or like um, a version of this puzzle that gives you a leg up on solving it, and that's totally cool, honestly, because they're the person who's going to be interested in solving this thing anyway. Yeah, so this is the classic, uh, you know, one head tells the truth, the other tells a lie. You can ask one question. Yeah, and I think you can use these tropes, but just like throw a twist in there. Like, sure, you have one thing that is honest and one thing that is dishonest, but, you know, make it so that they're talking stone heads or mirrors or, you know, 
something happens if you choose wrong uh, that maybe doesn't necessarily kill you right away, but it also doesn't just like not open the door. Maybe there's some sort of interesting consequence. Mm -hmm. Or like, um, you know, the sort of classic riddle. If I eat, I live. If I drink, I die. Like the answer is fire. But just knowing that answer doesn't necessarily mean you are able to solve the puzzle because now you need to figure out what do you what do you do with fire? Do you do you cast fire? Do you light a torch? What do you light? Does it matter what you light? Where do you put that light? Like I, I think of um, maybe there's a place where it seems like you would put the fire and then when you do, like it casts a shadow and it is the shadow that like is a map or gives you an, an answer or something like that that you wouldn't have been able to see without a bright light source in that particular strange location. Yeah, that's a that's a common common one, right? Is like there's actually a ser- series of mirrors around the room that will reflect that light into you know, whatever thing you're supposed to be looking at. Right. And you would have no idea that that is the particular place you need to put light, except that, you know, the puzzle has pointed you toward like put fire here. Right. Um, the very common one, we did this in Dark Sun too, right, is, is like place objects in a particular order. Um, I would probably never write a series of like logic statements in order to get people to place a series of objects in a certain order, I would probably Google a series of logic statements and then just replace all the proper nouns. Yeah. Whatever things you needed them to sort are sorted using that puzzle. Right. It also means that I don't run the risk of like completely screwing it up and then everybody spends 45 minutes of the session uh, and then doesn't get it right. And I'm like, oh, that's because uh, the creators of this puzzle in the game are smarter than me in real life. Literally at least like... (laughs) I think has happened to every GM, right? You get into a puzzle, the the players are like, we have the answer, here's the answer, you're like, no, that's wrong, and then they're like, okay, we go back to our work, and as they're like reworking it, you realize they're not wrong, I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, crap. <laughs> uh, actually, it opens, it was on tape delay. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> I, I mean, this is also the instance where, um, like last week we talked about adversarial GMs, where the tendency is to double down and be like, well, then you had to do a second thing at the same time in order to figure... Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay to make admit the mistake, take the L. <laughs> so when you are making a puzzle, think about its form. What is it going to look like? Um, what is it made of? What materials, right? Like, um, this, is, this is a great piece of world building. It's also going to tell you a lot about what the players have to work with in terms of like, interacting with it you know if it's made of metal then maybe it's conductive if it's made of wood maybe they can destroy it um is it a physical barrier right the traditional door with a puzzle that won't open until you answer the puzzle is it some sort of like magical clue that can do whatever you want is it is it just a riddle written on a wall something here should probably indicate how you're going to solve it whether that is oh there are obvious levers and we need to pull these levers probably yeah and and also, don't forget about the incidental puzzle, right? Is that, um, you know, the dungeon is old and things don't work the way they were intended and that gate opened and then crashed shut, right? So now you need to figure out between the two parties split on either side how you are going to get this gate back open so you can get through it, you know? Like, not every puzzle has to be an intent uh, behind that form. It could just be a narrative puzzle rather than like uh, an in-world created puzzle. Yeah, I think that's important to remember because, you know, like we said, an investigation is a type of puzzle. Um, like a heist is a type of, of puzzle. It is not necessarily presented 
um, as the creation of like some mad artificer somewhere, sometimes the creator of the puzzle is gravity. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's just sheer bad luck, mm-hmm. you know, uh, bad luck in the narrative sense, not necessarily a die roll created this puzzle, <laughs> right. of course. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, in the like outside of the game, like in the in the meta game, the creator of the puzzle is the GM. So right. when you're making them, one thing to keep in mind is that not everyone is usually going to be involved in every single puzzle that you make, just like not everyone is necessarily going to be involved in um, every social situation or is going to shine in every single combat, right? So if you're making multiple puzzles, just make them to play to a particular character's strength, especially if you are doing some sort of like dungeon delve that's maybe a, a really puzzle-heavy game or session and because this gives everyone a chance to shine. Like maybe there is a puzzle that the the creator really valued courage in another where they valued dexterity in another where they really valued knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about, you know, maybe do this in a way that doesn't play into racial tropes nearly as much, but in The Goonies, uh, there is that piano puzzle and then Data knows how to solve it because, of course, he can play the piano. Is that a racial trope? Uh, that I Asians mean, play the piano? Yes. Is it? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I knew that he was the nerd and the quiet one. I got that trope. <laughs> he was he was definitely the nerd, yeah. But like there's nothing inherently wrong with a, a piano puzzle. It was also cool because it was made out of bones, right? Like yeah. super cool. <laughs> and then somehow these like, I don't know, dumb pirates built a thing where like if you play the wrong note, the entire floor caves out from under you i don't know <laughs> uh yeah it's uh it's it's like the memorex commercial right <laughs> like it's, it shatters the glass that was holding up the floor with the dissonance <laughs> of course we'll just hand wave it one-eyed willy it's master genius right. <laughs> all right so let's talk about the intention of the puzzle right because once you know the shape it takes you need to know why it exists so what was the creator thinking when they decided that this would be the best obstacle at this time and it's nice if there is internal logic to this, but don't worry too much about it. I mean, it might just be that that it, this makes no sense, honestly. Like, I think of the end of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, right? The first Harry Potter book. It's just a series of puzzles built to protect what is apparently the most important object on the entire planet. Except mm-hmm. that it's like a series of seven puzzles that are solvable by 11-year-old children. <laughs> well, so part of that, though, is they're solvable by children because... They are geared towards how adults think, not how kids think. Sure, right? sure. So but one if, of the one of those puzzles is just fly and catch a key. Okay, I on mean, a broomstick. <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the better one, in my opinion, is Indiana Jones. Like the uh, the Holy Grail was perfectly capable of protecting itself. It didn't need all this nonsense protecting it. Like the Nazis were going to die regardless. Right, it was surrounded by uh, apparently like uh, 19 cups where if you touch them, you die instantly. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then even when you open the chest, it just melts your face off. Like That's uh, that's the Ark of the Covenant, uh, which is its, is its own protection. But I don't know. Why don't you just put them together? The Ark and the Cup. Uh, <laughs> right. Why didn't they just build armor out of the fake grails? And that way, anytime anyone attacks you, they die. <laughs> See, this is why you can't let players in your game. It's very true. It's very true. <laughs> but but look, like the Indiana Jones puzzles and the Harry Potter puzzles exist because they're fun and they're fun to solve. And it's like fun to like run people through them, not necessarily because it is the world's most effective protection that a master wizard or knight could devise. Like, 
sometimes just go with it. Yeah, I mean, uh, the other way to read that, right, is is not that it is testing your worthiness, but just that it is like putting you in the correct mindset in order to go further, right? So that you needed to be reminded of the importance of being penitent, of the importance of faith, of the importance of wisdom, right? So that you're sort of like not being tested on those qualities, but at least reminded of the importance of them, which is sort of in that Eldar Barrows, clearly not meant to keep anybody out, but instead intended to remind an Eldar who is going that deep into their history, why they have that history. Right. Right. Like maybe this is a puzzle, not because it was necessarily intended to be impenetrable. Um, and I think from a gaming perspective, puzzles shouldn't be impenetrable. I mean, a vault shouldn't be impenetrable, right? Otherwise, that's no fun if it's just impossible to get inside. It should be impenetrable to all but four people. Right. <laughs> a very specific group with very specific skills. Right. <laughs> Which is why, like, totally build your puzzle to the very specific skills of your party. That makes it fun. And then we'll talk more about solving it from the player side, but when you're creating a puzzle, you should at least have one solution in mind, if not more than one solution. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean that that is how it needs to be solved. It's fine if you're like, hey, they can figure out however they want to get through this puzzle, but like have at least one thing where you're like, oh, that that will definitely solve it. Yeah, and then... Hey, if they come up with a better solution, cool. Guess what? That was your solution. That was the one you were supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, the the thing that bo- one thing that bothers me so much every week I listen to um, the puzzle on uh, like weekend edition Saturday on NPR and like Will Shorts the puzzle editor the New York Times like puts a puzzle together and then you know people try to solve it and every once in a while someone comes up with an answer to his puzzle that wasn't the one that he intended and every single time he's like well that wasn't the one that I was going for, so it doesn't count. Yeah. Every single time. And I'm just like, Will Shorts, like, get over yourself, man. Just, like, give him the point, you know? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I listen to Hey Riddle Riddle, which is like that, except with improv comedy uh, interspersed. And a lot of times, like, they're reading riddles written by other people, and they'll come up with an answer, and the, the... the person reading the riddle that episode will just be like, oh, yeah, that's better than what this has. But um, now this is a quest to figure out what dumb answer did the creator of this riddle think was better than that? <laughs> that's, that's way better than being like, no, try again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you can build in options for clues if necessary, right? Like if there's a magic door they have to get through, maybe the door will answer their questions. Or um, if, you know, they're trying to solve a wizard's glyph and they're inside the wizard's study, then they can look around and that can reveal things about the wizard's personality traits that will tell you, you know, what did she value and what was she trying to, like, get her apprentice to do. Yeah. It's also fine if if the clues sort of draw from real life or from real world myth, like in Harry Potter, hey, there's a three-headed dog. How do you get by it? you sing it to sleep. But there's nothing in Harry Potter that tells you that. It's that if you know anything about Greek myth, Cerberus was lulled to sleep by a song. Yeah. Everyone else would have been like throwing meat. Right. Which like, (laughs) hey, maybe that works too, but you need three meats. Right. (laughs) And maybe you need one so they fight over it. Ooh, you know what? All those, all those I'm down with. Exactly. You you just sell it to me. Uh, Indiana Jones. 
if uh, a D&D paladin walks into the Temple of the Grail and that isn't penitent and like that first blade like flickers out and then bounces off their magical armor, cool, they got through it. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. <laughs> if you just tank the damage, like it's fine. Yeah. Um, if uh, you can fly and so you just fly over that chasm, guess what? You got over that chasm. You know, now it it does mean that maybe you are not in the right mindset when you get to the grail, but like, let him go, let him go through. Yeah, I think the the important part of that when you're letting somebody just bypass your puzzle is it's good that when they get to the other side, they see what the solution was. Yeah. Right. Like, let them know that there was a solution, you know, so uh, that's sort of the trick of that, um, that chasm, right? That faithful first step is that it's painted to look just like the bottom of the chasm. So if you change your angle, say by flying. Um, you would see that that is what has happened here. It's all an illusion, um, like a, a an optical illusion. Once you change the angle, you see it. Oh, okay, cool, got it. I could have just walked across. Now I don't have to. I've already moved past. Right, or you just fly into what was previously an invisible bridge, and you're like, oh, I bumped into it. I see, cool, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you took a leap of faith right into the ground. <laughs> Uh, you destroyed your rotors and now you're falling. Right. <laughs> All right. So when you're at the point where you're running the puzzle in game, remember that if solving this puzzle is the only way through a, a door or to get past an obstacle, that can be a bottleneck in your story. And if the players don't figure it out, then nothing is going to happen. And that is boring. So if they can figure any way through in general, you're going to want to let it happen. Um, it's also better if it isn't the only way to get from this part of the story to the next part of the story, just have it be one of the ways, or maybe there's something additional you get out of it. If you happen to solve this puzzle, but making them integral to the story is very dangerous. So in terms of how you present it to the players, um, it's important to ask yourself, do the players even know that this is a puzzle? Right? Are they aware that they're solving this? Yeah. What does it look like when they first approach the location? You know, is there an obvious thing that they have to manipulate—a lever or a button or not? Um, do they just yell answers into the air like Gandalf standing in front of a door? Like Maybe players, like players at a table. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there a, what? What are the mechanics of this? Are there a series of skill checks that they need to do in order to like manipulate particular level or levers behind a thing or? You know, do they need to investigate an area or even try trial and error and there are some consequences and certain things break or they take some damage or whatever before they even figure out what the mechanism is? Yeah, that's that classic like, uh, you know, you're moving across the, the floor and it's a checkerboard and that certain certain steps on there will be traps, right? And you'll take some damage from it. Uh, you can interpret from the board or from clues the correct path or you can brute force it and just tank the damage as you step in the wrong spots and maybe figure it out on your own uh, as long as you live. Yeah, like that's a good example of a puzzle that isn't a bottleneck. Like you can get through it. You just might take a bunch of damage doing it. Right. You might not want to afterwards. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So think about um, what is it that happens each time the party makes a, a guess or like tries a thing or attempts to solve the puzzle couple things here. It could be that nothing happens. Just remember that that means that they effectively get infinite tries and the best option might actually be just trial and error and they try everything until something succeeds because there's no negative consequence to doing that other than wasting time. Right. 
that would be the same thing if you have a positive consequence or partial success. There's just no drawback for trying it over and over again. Yeah. Hey, we released one hostage by trying this thing. Uh, okay, let's just do that 17 more times and eventually we'll get it right and we succeed. Right. Uh, it could be that it is death. That is a pretty common trope for old school puzzles. Like you guessed wrong and so you die. Um, you better have a backup plan for your story because you're probably going to lose one or more characters. Uh, and if you're trying to solve this, you should have a backup plan as well. Like send in someone else to do it or use your 10 foot pole or something. Yeah. Death ward then ask, or then venture forth with an answer. Right. <laughs> Right. Um, Death Ward makes the riddle of the Sphinx a lot easier. Uh, Well, not really. It just makes it a little easier the first time. How does she How does she kill you? Is, does she eat you? Is that what she's supposed to do? The Greek Sphinx? Uh, I think so. I could tank her. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> so probably more likely is there some sort of negative consequence for a wrong answer or like a, a partial answer or partial solve? And maybe that's, you know, damage or feedback or, or something. Or like you said, you you um, make it partway across the trapped floor. You have some information about which kinds of squares are trapped. But of course, you take some damage. Right. It could be a partial failure where, you know, you have to line up five jars and you get four of them right. Well, one of the hostages dies. And like that sucks a lot. And now you know that if you just guess again, pretty soon all the hostages are dead. But... All the hostages didn't die, so at least you know that you're on the right track. Yeah, let's see if the authorities appreciate that. <laughs> um, then you can also set it up with like a limited number of tries before you have a total failure. Uh, this could be like a time mechanic, you know, like you'll you'll divide up your uh, amount of time remaining until the ceiling hits the floor uh, into eight guesses, right? Or it could literally be like an incorrect guess is causing some physical manifestation that is limiting your um, ability like maybe the um, the chamber is crumbling or the door is falling apart or the you know magical seal that's holding back the demon uh, will will fall and then it will attack you yeah and it's super obvious that like a certain percentage of it has crumbled with each failed guess and so you basically know two more tries and then this is over right so of course with a riddle or a puzzle or anything like that sometimes the players can't come up with an answer or Maybe the puzzle can't be solved with information that is out of character. You know, it, their their intelligence or their ability to like logic their way through this isn't how they're going to get around it. So that means that the GM needs to help them along with some clues. And that might be the intent. It might just be that, hey, the party's having a bad day today or I did a bad job like, you know, explaining how this works and so they're not really getting it or whatever right so leave some clues scattered around whether it's that wizard study um or, or the one i always like is a previous adventure who tried this who definitely failed and is now a corpse right they uh they had some notes in their notebook you go pull up their journal and and uh, that at least gets you over that first hump so maybe you can work towards solving the thing right when they were like oh i'm sure the answer is wind and now they're dead <laughs> <laughs> right or or like oh when i guess wrong i got stabbed <laughs> hey at least i know the consequences of guessing wrong now <laughs> send in the paladin right uh you did this with um the eldar barrows there were environmental cues we had these wall frescoes that sort of told the story of what happened here in the first place 
So Indeed. every new room was like, oh, this is what they were dealing with and the kinds of things they were thinking about. And that helps us figure out, uh, you know, which, uh, which emotion are we trying to conjure? Right. And then it might be that this is a, a skill challenge of some kind, you know, a knowledge check or, you know, you use different skills or different uh, abilities that provide the hints in order to get past this. So if it's a, a series of like a, a puzzle lock that the party is trying to get through, most people who are playing an RPG are probably not real life locksmiths, nor are they probably that familiar with like medieval locks mm -hmm. and like how those tumblers necessarily work. So it's not a, it's not like a player puzzle where people are trying to figure it out. It's it's an in-game puzzle. So then you have you can ask questions like, well, does my character know how a lock works? Uh, does my character know hey, how a magical lock works? You know, it, it literally has it has nothing to do with whether you know how a lock works in real life. Right. Um, I have mentioned this before. There was a 4E game that I was playing where the puzzle was, uh, there were four archways and they each had a, a different elemental motif, right? Like water, fire, earth, air. Mm -hmm. uh, and entering one the party quickly found out like entering any of them causes massive damage and then goes nowhere and basically like resets them back to the starting point right in front of these um, four again uh, and there's you know a, a riddle inscription right inception to grave the path of the varn leads to safety and the thing here is that there's no um, player information that tells you how to solve this because the varn aren't a real thing I made them up and so it is purely in game but also it wasn't really explained in game at all what what they needed to do eventually was make knowledge checks or like i gave them information based on their backstory or like what proficiencies they have about what their characters knew about the varn right that right. they're an ancient humanoid society who are gone uh they had elaborate underground mausoleums they had live ritualized lives represented by the elements and they're they had death rituals that required cremation and like you put those all together uh, and, you know, you figure out the, the order of the elements maps to the order of the Varn life cycle, which is water, air, fire, and earth, Got it. which like you can get, you can get from trial and error by going through the arches in the right order and potentially taking a ton of damage, figuring out like what path you're supposed to go through these four arches. Right. Right. Uh, or you like, you make a bunch of history checks I think the key here is like you don't want to gate the clues behind a, a like a, a die roll unless there are other ways to get the info. So, you know, if you completely botch a history check, it doesn't mean that you get no info. It means that you might get slightly different info or you get some of the information about the Varn. And then you might get to a point where you can't figure out all four elements in order, but you can figure out three of them. And so now the punishment is taking some damage by trial and error, but you're still getting most of the way and, and your knowledge checks are still doing something. Right. One important thing here is you shouldn't gate the clues behind roles unless there are other ways to get the information that they need. You don't want, you know, a lacking knowledge role to reveal incomplete information and thus make the, um, make the puzzle impossible. Yeah, and this means that you should know the abilities of the characters who are going to be running through the puzzle. And then you can give out clues as needed depending on their background. Like, you're a soldier, you would know this. Or, you know, um, you're you're from Cormier, 
you would know this uh, about that um, or just their proficiencies. You know, remember, no role is required here for some of this information. Like you have proficiency in nature, you know this information that is useful. Yeah. And like in your example, right, I I am guessing that um, absent those knowledge roles, if they had just started walking through those gates, they eventually would have learned the order of the gates. It's just that they would have paid a lot of hit points in order to do that. Yeah, exactly. And potentially not survived. Right. Again, as you're running this, remember, there could be multiple correct answers. Um, In the like four gateways example, honestly, like if it got down to it and and someone was sort of making a very well-reasoned argument to the other players and being like, no, it's definitely like earth and then fire. And they walked through the gate. I probably would have been like, yeah, all right, that works. You know what I mean? Why not? Like, there, I made this up to begin with. It's it's not. Why should they be punished for like coming up with a a really great answer that wasn't necessarily the one that I thought of first? Yeah, and then the other thing is, as a GM, it feels weird to do. As a player, it's very you're very appreciative of this. Like, it's fine to do a little handholding. You know, like just because the players didn't make the giant logical leap that you were expecting of them, like. Even if you get get them three quarters of the way, like that last tiny leap still feels like a win for the players. Oh yeah, absolutely. And this is especially when you're dealing with in character information. Like I think a lot of times, if you're a Forgotten Realms GM, you're probably an expert in the lore. I am an expert in Eberron lore. Um, we're, when we're playing 40k, like Shane, you and and Jim, a lot of people are leaning on to be like, hold on, what are, what do Eldar think about this, and how how does it differ when you're a Dark Eldar, etc. Right. Right. Yep. So like if you're a if this is a puzzle that relies on in-game information it is fine and it is actually important I think for a GM to be like hey you're from this country so you know this about these people or or about like this plant or whatever because you're familiar with it you put these two pieces of information together so here's what you might think or here's like the line of reasoning you're beginning to go down and then let the player pick it up from there yeah or, you know, if there is a consequence of, of incorrect guessing or whatever, like, maybe you need to caution them, hey, like, you don't think that's the right answer. Your character knows that high elves would consider that dishonorable. It's unlikely that this would be the solution to their puzzle. Yeah, and it's it's fine to be like, one person's like, hey, here's what I think the solution is. And you point to someone else at the table and be like, that sounds that sounds really good to the two of you, but the elf over here thinks that it might be wrong for this particular reason. Right. All right. So I think this actually, this episode kind of completes the the trifecta of prophecies, riddles, and puzzles, which I think are all very similar in a lot of ways and have similar like caveats and, and also benefits. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I was about to sort of run any of those or make them a big part of my campaign i probably you know listen to all three of those episodes but you know the main takeaways here are like they're not meant to be solely obstacles they're supposed to be fun challenges just remember that everyone is supposed to have fun solving them and so lean toward whatever direction your table is going to find more enjoyable in the end yeah it's not the player's fault if they can't solve the puzzle Give them a couple hints, give them a couple clues to get them moving along uh, and, and make sure that like the puzzle is fun. Because like I said, right, like even the smallest little logical leap feels like a win. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, 
I got there on my own. All right. Yeah. Sure. You set it up, but like th- that stuff, my character would have known anyway. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's not my fault that I'm not an elf. <laughs> all right. Do you hear that, Ishan? That's the sound of three bells, each vibrating at a slightly different frequency, but together they create a chord that will summon the ancient city of Tintinabula. Well, then it's time to move on to the character creation forge and figure out who's inside the ancient city of Tintinabula. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sends Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we're building the Kundaric Keymaster. Ishan, what is the Kundaric Keymaster? Well, as the name might have given away... They're a consummate puzzle solver and creator from the Dwarven House of Warding in Eberron. All right. And what's the build? It is Lore Bard 14, Artillerist Artificer 6. All right. I like Bard Dwarves. We don't get a lot of Bard Dwarves because, of course, you are playing a Mark of Warding Dwarf, which, in addition to um, plus two to con and poison uh, resistance and stone cunning, gives you a bonus D4 to thieves tools checks and investigation, which, of course, is going to be very useful in figuring out exactly how a puzzle works. And then you'll get the the additional spells to your spell list that all of the um, dragon marks provide. Uh, for Kandaric, you will get Alarm, Arcane Lock, Knock... Glyph of Warding, Magic Circle, Armor of Agathis. It's it's like these are all just like puzzles and solutions just built right in. Right. I lock the door. I unlock the door. Um, I also like I like Armor of Agathis as well because you can upcast it and just get a boatload of temp HP. Um, and then you're just standing there like, I don't know, I'll just open the door, I guess. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's, it's I, uh, I prepared Arcane Runes this morning. I prepared Armor of Agathis this morning. <laughs> <laughs> So from Bard, you'll get 7th level spells, which uh, honestly, like you look through the, the D&D 5e spell list and it's basically like, hey, these are the things you use to circumvent uh, all the puzzles. Uh-huh. Uh, things like locate object and locate creatures, scene visibility, zone of truth. If you need to answer a puzzle and you don't have the information, cast legend lore. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if, you can, if nothing else, you can legend lore for the answer to this puzzle. Right. <laughs> Someone has solved this before. Right. Uh, if you're stuck in a maze, you just cast Find the Path. Um, this works for all kinds of puzzles because if it's a social puzzle or, you know, there's a, some creature that's like giving you the puzzle and is trying to trick you, great. You also have the charm and dominate line of spells. Right. Hey, go solve this puzzle for me. You'll also get Jack of All Trades. You'll get four expertise. Uh, great for your knowledge, religion, history, all that stuff. You get six magical secrets choices, uh, which basically means you can shore up anything that you are not great at. Uh, but honestly, you have pretty much an excellent selection of, of spells to begin with, plus three extra skills, cutting words, um, and your capstone here at level 14, you're going to get peerless skill, which lets you add your own bardic die to a skill check if you choose. That's an extra D12 to any of those checks that you are, you know, trying to recall a bit of uh, information or trying to examine the inner workings of this particular puzzle. 
And then from Artillerist Artificer, we will get second level spells and three infusions of your choice. You'll be able to create any tools from thin air and you'll have expertise in any of those tools that you are proficient in. Then you'll get really actually amazing spells like shields, which is useful when, of course, uh, an arrow or a big disc of uh, metal is trying to cut your head off. Mm -hmm. Shatter, which I feel like is underrated but useful when dealing with a puzzle because often if you can just destroy one particular mechanism inside a puzzle or a trap or a door that just breaks the entire thing right fireball wall of fire cone of cold hey those are good too the wizard's lock you also get wall of force which is a great way to you know keep things off your back or if you are putting a puzzle together or trying to protect a particular location just throw up a wall of force nothing's getting through that right you do get your eldritch cannon remember yes they can shoot a force ballista that's great yes they can give off uh temp hp to everyone nearby which is also great when you're dealing with you know a, a trap or a puzzle but remember that they are they are little constructs that have hit points in ac which also means that they can walk into the trap or the puzzle to set it off. And they can be as small as tiny, which means they can often go inside the puzzle to shoot or flamethrow whatever it is you need them to do while they're in there. Yeah, just go ahead and wreck that mechanism, please. Right. And then Arcane Firearm gives you uh, some bonus damage to many of your artillery spells, which are going to be your bread and butter when you're not solving the puzzles. Uh, in terms of leveling order, I mean, it only feels fair to take your art your artillerist levels first and then switch to bard right i agree it feels like um within house kundaric like you train as maybe a rogue or an artificer because like the you're spending your days um working the the banking system and like uh protecting valuables and then as you actually get higher up in the uh, house you're able to spend more of your time like on research and and study and, yeah. you know, eventually discover those new spells and then eventually become peerless at all of your skills. All right, Ishan, who is your Kundaric Keymaster? My Kundaric Keymaster is a scion of the house, favored in-house. Um, she manifested her mark early on, even before the test of Sybaris. Um, it became apparent that she was very good at uh, building, you know, knickknacks and then graduated very quickly to traps and and puzzle boxes made a nice little killing on the side um selling her little jeweled puzzle boxes which are both beautiful mechanisms uh but also keep your valuables safe away from you know your thieving housekeepers right uh-huh. <laughs> sometimes you've got to hire halflings and you know what are you going to do right uh but of course there was there was always one thing that she enjoyed more than the other and she didn't um share it with anyone else and that was uh artificers can also make uh, little music boxes that's true and she loved those so much and made them only for herself because she knew that doors don't sing the the house of warding protects money and valuables they don't perform in front of other people uh, and so it wasn't until she actually uh, went on uh, a journey uh, to sort of um, see the world and adventure a little bit that she realized that there are very effective uses for the the skills of the the bard. It isn't just singing. It is controlling the minds of others, uh, convincing them to do your uh, dirty work for you, to break into vaults, to protect your, your vaults. Sometimes the, the best ward 
is a person who is completely committed to your cause. All right. And uh, here she is, finally returning to the house, um, well leveled. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> of course, an important quality. <laughs> and uh, yeah, sharing those secrets with the house and telling them we needn't be quite so gruff. Uh, there are there are many ways to protect valuables, and, and I think this is a, perhaps a new service that we could offer. All right. What about your Kundarak Keymaster? All right. So if yours is a scion of House Kundarak, then mine has to be. A reject of House Kandarak. Very true. Uh, as an artificer, you know, skilled in uh, deception, in um, like trap making and sort of puzzles, all of those things, learning as a, as a young member of the house, of course, decided to adopt this to um, currency, you know, like the importance of a decentralized currency that isn't controlled by any one government, you know, perhaps one that is uh, valued and and created through the solving and creation of puzzles. You might say a cryptocurrency of sorts. Yes, a, um, a Kundaric crypto. Great. Yes. Uh, however, of course, this would be very threatening to all of the, the deep state relationships that House Kundaric maintains with the various governments of Corvair. And so he was um, kicked out of the house, if you will. And now he travels, um, having these skills, you know, uh, continuing to evangelize the good word of cryptocurrency, uh, but also speak truth to the uh, the corrupting power of House Kandarik and their control over monetary policy. I think our two key masters are going to come into conflict at some point. Almost certainly. <laughs> I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> All right. Before we wrap up, let's take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week and to do things like a Forgotten Realms episode. Yeah. <laughs> Great. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our other rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. All right. What do we have planned for next week's episode? Uh, We don't know yet. <laughs> we, we've got Forgotten Realms in two weeks, and to fill that one void, there are some options, but we don't know if they will come through yet. So I guess we'll just see. Yeah, you might say we got a couple irons in the fire. We'll see what comes out. But that's it for episode 242 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by D&D Beyond. D&D Beyond is the official digital toolset and game companion for Dungeons & Dragons. You can use it to build characters, track campaigns, run adventures, and do so much more. One of my favorite things actually is being able to sort spells or to search and filter spells by type. And I don't mean like school or, you know, ritual tag, although you can do all that. I mean, like they have gone through and tagged all of them as like a utility spell or a warding spell or a teleportation spell, etc., etc., etc. Yeah. What buffs do I have available as I walk into this combat with a little time to prep? Right. Uh, this is especially helpful for like a cleric or a druid where you just have access every day to every single spell on the list and you're just mm -hmm. like, I um, forgot that stone shape was on my list. Right. <laughs> you know, the one spell that would have completely defeated this combat. So, hey. Yep, my life. D&D Beyond also has lots of awesome content for free like the D&D Basic Rules, articles from writers like James J. Heck, and videos from Todd Kenrick. The team is always updating the site with new features, so improvements to the platform are always coming.
So if that sounds good, check it out at www.dndbeyond.com.